0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Now had those markets shut off, it took years to build those up. It's going to take decades to build them back.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkomp here on on the Ag News Daily podcast. And Mike, happy Wednesday.
1: Happy Wednesday
2: indeed. I apologize. I'm very yawny today. I woke up. My allergies are in full swing. And I woke up at 2.30 this morning with a terrible sneezing attack, so I have not had a whole lot of sleep. So, folks, I'm going to try to keep the energy up. We've got news. We've got markets that are on fire, so there are some <laughs> exciting things happening. I just You're just not always going to hear it my voice today, Madison.
0: All right. I can definitely relate to that, though. My allergies are terrible, and I have a pot of coffee brewing downstairs. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's great. I'm glad you've got a pot of coffee going. I, uh, I've had several cups already, and I will probably go get a Red Bull. So that is where my day is at. But Madison Honkap, what is some of the world of agricultural news that we need to know about today?
0: Well, Mike, I saw an article today that came out and an announcement that will t- start taking place on January 1st of 2020, but it's new regulation, new requirements for sulfur content in fuel for marine vessels. Obviously we will could see this come, come into perspective, especially in the ag field with different exports and imports coming through. But basically they want to change the amount of sulfur dioxide within the fuel used um, for many boats and different vessels um, going across the oceans and they are changing the sulfur content to only allowing 0.5% by mass, and that's actually an 85% reduction from the previous permitted level of 3.5%. Um, obviously, we'll again see this in agriculture um, good with a reduction in acid rain, but it will increase ocean freight rates because it having these... Fuel the boats will then have to have these kind of scrubbers on their um motors, really, and that's gonna cost about three to five million dollars, um, depending on the boat, depending on the age. And oh, geez. yes, it's crazy. And there are about 170 countries, including the United States, that have already agreed to abide by these new IMO, I-M-O regulations.
2: All right, so this is coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: All right. So, yeah, expect. Well, I suppose the good news is if 170 different countries have signed off on it, freight rates are going to climb for everybody. So it's not like mm-hmm. we're going to be at a competitive disadvantage. It's just going to raise costs. Yes. All right. Well, that's that's never good news either.
0: No, it really isn't.
2: Well, let's see. Speaking of raising costs, we did actually – no, I'm going to – Ah, oh, Shoot, that was a great segue, but I'm going to throw it away because there was a big story, and we'll come back and circle around to this when we talk markets. It definitely moved the markets a little bit today, but um, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue was at the Farm Progress Show earlier today, and he made an announcement that Donald Trump is going to come out with a plan to assist um, biofuels producers – we don't yet know what the plan is. Sources inside the White House say that there is um, there is no final agreement yet on how to move forward. Um, it, it is yet to be finished. It has not been put in writing. But it sounds like President Trump has a plan to somehow make up for the gallons of ethanol and, and soy biodiesel um, lost due to these renewable fuel waivers. So, or these, Yeah, yeah refinery waivers sorry my brain is just so slow today <laughs> and this really sparked the markets higher corn soybeans and wheat all went off on a tear earlier today as soon as this was announced um donald trump excuse me secretary purdue actually uh took a phone call from president trump at the farm progress in front of everybody and that got, that got folks excited so it is certainly uh It's interesting, and now we just have to kind of wait and see to what the final product ends up being. Is there going to be an actual plan to put these these gallons back into production, or is it more, you know, just kind of a tweet remains to be seen?
0: Yes, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. But, Mike, your segue could have been, speaking of fuel.
2: Oh, great point. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Good stuff, Madison Honkamp. Well, I'll tell you what, so that is the fuel news I had. Yes, exactly, to transition (laughs) so smoothly. But uh, what other news do you have for us? Well,
0: I have some trade news, Mike. Um, Some Chinese officials commented... Um, that they are very wor- wary of President Trump and kind of this trade deal that have has obviously been going on for what seems like forever. Um, but they're really trying to delay this agreement until after the 2020 election because of fears that Trump might uh, re-engage on agreement and just maybe kind of go back on his word. And they're trying to avoid that. But hopefully... Which kind of contradicts the article I know, I think we talked about on Monday, where they were really hopeful to see this Chinese trade deal coming through.
2: Right. So now we're just, we're, we're just trying not to get too excited, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, basically. Just need to pump the brakes a little bit, go, hey, we're still a long ways away. Mm-hmm. Let's not be making promises, not be writing, not have our mouths writing checks our bodies can't cash, so to speak, if I may quote Top Gun. Which probably came out before you were born, Madison Hong Kong Uh,
0: I don't know, I've seen that movie, but I don't know when it came out
2: It came out in the 80s, were you around in the 80s?
0: No, I was not I don't think, my parents didn't even know each other in the 80s
2: (laughs) You are such a pop, Madison (laughs) It came out in
0: 1986, I just looked it up
2: Okay, well look at you, with your Google too, that's fantastic
0: Fort 13 years before I was born.
2: Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's got you beat by a little yeah. bit. It yeah. was uh, it was about ready to start buying lottery tickets when you were born, <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> um, let's see. We did have an announcement. Um, well, while we're talking trade deals, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office said earlier today that the plans to impose an additional 5% tariff on a list of $300 billion worth of Chinese imports... Starting on September 1st is going to happen. Uh, they said this It was an, an official notice that on September 1st, U.S. Customs and Border Protection will begin collecting a 15% tariff on a portion of the list that contains over $125 billion worth of targeted goods, which we've talked about. And then a 15% tariff will again be leveled on the remainder of the list on December 15th. So now this is out of the talking about it phase that has been officially announced as of what Saturday or Sunday, whatever the September 1st is, these tariffs are going into effect.
0: All right. At least we have, I guess, well, not really at least, but we have something set.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: Cause everything else has just kind of been up in the air. Like nobody really knows. Right.
2: It's all kind of nebulous.
0: Yes. But, Mike, I am all out of news for today.
2: Well, let's see. I just have one other piece that kind of ties into the tariff news. There were 160 business groups that got together earlier today, and they all uh, came together to write a letter to appeal to President Trump to postpone all the tariff hikes on Chinese imports scheduled for this year. They said that uh, the timing of it is going to hit shoppers with higher prices during the holiday season. And uh, so basically the, the letter, which was on behalf of Americans for Free Trade Coalition, uh, so, you know, obviously they've got an agenda there. Um, they said this was coming at the worst possible time in the middle of a busy holiday shopping season. And, uh, you know, their thought was retailers were thinking, you know, maybe higher prices are going to keep folks from coming into their stores. And, uh, you know, they want to see as many folks in their stores as possible.
0: Yes, definitely except, Definitely for this, like, upcoming season, too.
2: Right, right, exactly, exactly. See, a holiday season is yeah, almost it's, upon us, which it's, is hard to believe.
0: It's, like, right around the corner. Like, it's already, August, it's already the end of August. September starts this weekend, right?
2: Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it starts on Sunday.
0: Yeah. It's crazy.
2: Ugh, ugh it'll be snowy and icy and bad before we know it.
0: Don't say that, because I have to walk to class still. <laughs>
2: I'm walking to work or riding my bike, so I'm I'm in the same boat, Madison.
0: Very true.
2: Well, I tell you what, that wraps up my news. We know you are out of news. Let's dive into the markets before we go to our interview for the day.
0: Let's do it, Mike.
2: All right, folks. And as we take a look at the markets, as I mentioned, they were down significantly early this morning. And then as soon as that Trump announcement was made, they turned around and rallied like crazy with corn and soybeans finishing up, wheat finishing lower, but only slightly, and uh, livestock finishing a little bit lower on the day. But in the corn market, the September corn was up six and a quarter cents at 363 and a quarter, December up five and a quarter to finish at 371 and a half. In soybeans, the September Contract was up five and three quarters, closed the day at 8.52 even. November. Also up five and three quarters, closing at five, at eight sixty five even. In Chicago wheat, as I mentioned, a little lower. September was down three quarters of a penny at four seventy three even. The December contract was down a penny, finished the day at four seventy five and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, October live cattle was down fifty seven and a half cents at ninety nine twenty. December down seventy two and a half, finishing up at one o four o seven fifty. And in feeder cattle, the September contract dropped ninety. Two and a half cents finished at 132.85. October down 87.50 to wrap the day at 131.62.50. Really, the only place that caught a bid in the protein markets, well, dairy did too. We'll come to that in a second, is lean hogs. The October contract was up 27.5 cents at 63.50. December up 80, finishing at 63.70. And as I mentioned, the dairy market did see some bidding today. The August contract, which of course is darn near expiration, unchanged. Again, September was up 16 cents, finished at 1746, and the October was up 9 cents to close the day at 1752. Without further ado, we're going to kick it over to an interview Delaney did talking about issues that face rural America.
3: Well, as we continue to focus on issues impacting rural voters, specifically as we head into the election cycle here. Talking again about the group Focus on Rural America with Patty Judge and Jeff Link. And, you know, I think I'm just going to let you two share a little bit about your backgrounds and how you got involved with this organization.
4: Well, sure, I'll, I'll kick this off. Um, I uh, have been in political office or w- w- uh, were, was in political office for a number of years, uh, served as a state senator, secretary of agriculture, and lieutenant governor. And uh, after the uh, disasters that the Democratic Party saw in 16, Jeff Link, a longtime friend, and I got together and decided that uh, we needed to talk about what happened. Uh, we did some uh, focus group work. We did some polling. We started looking at numbers and, and at issues, and uh, that uh, uh, led us to, to start this, this uh, nonprofit called Focus on Rural America. Uh, we have uh, really analyzed issues in, uh, in rural America that are important to the voters, um, and uh, we believe that uh, you know the, a successful uh, candidate uh, is going to address those issues. And they're pretty simple. They're pocketbook issues. Uh, it's, it's a good job with a decent wage. It's a good school for your children, uh, affordable and accessible health care. Uh, strong infrastructure, including uh, internet hookups uh, uh, and other tools that that uh, person would need in order to be uh, a successful business person in in, uh, rural America.
1: Uh, And this is Jeff Link. Uh, I've worked with Patty on a couple of her campaigns. and, And really, after the 2016 election, we were both surprised at how rural America had uh, left the Democratic Party, uh, particularly in the presidential race, uh, people in rural America who had given Barack Obama their vote both in 2008 and 12 uh, turned away and, and voted in huge numbers uh, for President Trump. And um, my background is I grew up in southeast Iowa in a blue-collar town, and you know when I was growing up. The Democrats represented the the blue-collar people, and the Republicans sort of represented the wealthy, and it surprised me that a guy who um, lives in a penthouse apartment in Manhattan somehow was more appealing to rural voters in Iowa uh, than than the Democrat, and so we we sat down and tried to figure out, okay, where's the disconnect? Uh, Why... Why would people feel like the Democratic Party is either ignoring them or or offending them? And so that's really how we got started with this project, because it's our belief uh, that, number one, it's difficult to win the White House uh, without the support of rural America. And number two, uh, while the Democrats can win back the House with urban America— they'll never take back the United States Senate until they figure out how to win in rural states again. So those, those are two things that are really motivating for us.
4: And I would I just add to this, uh, to what Jeff said, not only are we concerned politically that Democrats can probably not be successful uh, in rural states like Iowa, um, we're also very concerned about rural Iowa, rural yes. America. and uh, We are both from rural uh, Iowa. And we have seen uh, the communities that uh, where we grew up uh, decline. We've seen loss of jobs, people moving away, a real hollowing out of uh, of rural Iowa. Uh, on the other side of that is the fact that here in the Des Moines metro, uh, we are seeing some of the most the the fastest growth in the country in our suburbs. But our population in Iowa is not in, increasing, so it's clear that. Uh, we're not uh, we're not growing new people uh, into our state. We are simply relocating people from the rural parts of the state, and that's a concern. Uh, so not only do we want to see Democrats win elections, we also want to see uh, a stability and growth in rural Iowa and rural America.
3: And you hit a key point on the head there, and that was in the 2016 election. We saw so many folks from rural America, voting for President Trump for that election cycle. How do you combat that for this 2020 election? And how do you inform those Democrats or make them pay attention to the issues impacting rural America when so many of them are from you know, bigger cities or areas that maybe don't understand agriculture of rural America?
1: Well, one of the things we've been talking to all the candidates about is we, we've talked to a lot of voters um, since 2016, particularly uh, voters in rural communities that, that did support President Obama, uh, but also voted for President Trump. And, um, you know, a lot of these candidates, I think, at first couldn't understand how someone could pick Barack Obama and Donald Trump, but we explained to them that um, these these voters, first of all, they don't really uh, put a lot of weight in party labels, so they don't they don't really see a big difference between Democrats and Republicans. They just view everybody as a politician. And in 2008, they viewed Barack Obama as someone who could bring change to Washington D.C. They gave him the benefit of the doubt again in 12 um, when compared to Mitt Romney, but uh, in 2016 basically Hillary Clinton ran a campaign on the status quo and Donald Trump was the change candidate. And guess what? They chose change again. So it, it wasn't that big a surprise. And so we're trying to let people know uh, that voters are dissatisfied with the way things are going in Washington, D.C. And we really need to present uh, a plan for getting to real change. And I, I think one of the alternatives um, and one of the things that we've, that we've continued to hear is that while rural voters tend to like president Trump's policies, um, you know, the economy is, is still okay. Although we've got real trouble signs on the horizon, um, they really don't like, uh, the way he treats people and the way he talks and, and the way he kind of carries himself in the office. And so if, if a Democrat can really, talk about bringing change to Washington, but changing the tone and bring people together um, and unify the country as opposed to tear the country apart. uh, We think that's kind of foundational uh, to to everything. And then the second point, and this is really critical, a lot of uh, rural voters in particular at the end of the 2016 election, they were having a tough time deciding between Trump and, and Clinton. Ultimately, they decided first that they could not vote for Hillary Clinton. They still were not drawn to Trump because of what he said and how he said things, but they kept hearing these messages either in the Clinton ads or in the news media that said, if you vote for Trump, you're either racist, misogynist, or stupid. And the voters we've talked to said, look, I'm not racist, I'm not misogynist, I'm certainly not stupid, but I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And so what we've encouraged all the candidates to do is uh, lift up rural voters, look to rural places for innovation, uh, celebrate what's going on in the middle of America in terms of feeding America and uh, opportunities for dealing with issues like climate change and renewable energy uh, lift people up and tell them we need them to be part. This is what Patty was saying before about we have to revitalize these communities because they're so vital to the strength of our entire country. Uh, as Secretary Vilsack likes to point out, uh, as a percentage, uh, rural families uh, have more more people that are part of the military. For instance, we need to. We Democrats need to talk about that. And I think if we lift these voters up, rather than and stay 10 miles away from being condescending in any form, uh, we have a chance to uh, win these voters back.
4: And really, while we have uh, been focusing on Iowa and the issues here in I- Iowa, uh, we have talked to enough people from other states that uh, were Obama-Trump states, and uh, we know that the dynamics are the same, whether it's here or whether it's in Ohio, Pennsylvania. Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, it's really uh, the same dynamic, uh, and it is, uh, it is that people are feel like, yes, we may have had somewhat of an economic boom, but it did not touch the rural parts of our country. Uh, people are working two or three jobs in order to make a living. So when we talk about low unemployment rates, I think we also have to factor in the fact the people are working very, very hard at jobs that are just not paying them a living wage. Uh, you can't only do that so long before there are serious social consequences to your families and your neighborhoods.
3: And you guys have touched on a number of issues here, but one issue that really not a lot of candidates talked about while they were in the state of Iowa at the like Iowa State Fair has been trade, and that's been a huge one here that's been impacting rural America. We've seen it deteriorate some of the farm income, and farms themselves have gone out of business because of the trade war issues with China. What are you guys doing to help educate the Democratic Party on trade issues impacting rural America, and how do they plan to handle issues like the China trade uh, issues moving forward?
4: Well, uh, Iowa is an ag export state. We we are one of the leading three export states in the country, which is pretty remarkable when you think about the fact that many many states have a lot larger landmass than Iowa. Uh, so international trade trade is is critical to us to our state economy. I think it it uh, took a while for people to understand that there uh, that the tariffs uh, and the lack of uh, negotiation on part of uh, President Trump are, is really uh, affecting the bottom line here. But that time is here. And and I have seen a real shift in thinking uh, in rural Iowa. People are starting to understand that, that this is uh, very serious, that we have a, a huge problem looking at us as we are going into harvest and, and beyond to next year. Are people going to be able uh, to sell the, the products that they produced this year uh, for a price that uh, will cover their cost of production plus give them a, a, a little more uh, money in their pocket to, to feed their families, questionable. That's very questionable. It's very serious. This, this is a, a looming crisis in the Farm Belt.
1: I think that's right. And, and what we've seen politically is for the first year or so of tariffs, uh, I think it really became a proxy for party. And what I mean by that is, if you're um, if you're a supporter of President Trump or you're a Republican, President Trump is all in on tariffs. Then then you generally supported tariffs, uh, notwithstanding the fact that the Republican Party, for the last 30 years, has been anti- tariff and pro-trade. Uh, Trump has changed that, and so I think a lot of people went along with Trump at the outset. Um, but I think now that we're two years into this and the rubber is meeting the road, I think the Congressional Budget Office just put out a number today saying the average family is paying $500 a year more uh, because of tariffs. That's, that's the federal government reporting that. That's not, you know, any party that's putting out those numbers. Um, so, you know, not only are the tariffs costing consumers more, um, but – it's actually closed the Chinese market. As As Patty said, it's critically important for pork producers and, and soybean uh, growers to, to have the export market. But we we've, we've now had those markets shut off. It took years to build those up. It's going to take decades to build them back. And all of this trade and tariff talk is being compounded by the fact that the EPA has just recently announced that they're going to grant waivers uh, to oil companies so that they don't have to blend ethanol. So while we're t- being taxed more with waivers, while we're getting the market shut off, now the EPA, Trump's own EPA, is choosing oil companies over ethanol producers and corn growers. So it's a t- really a triple whammy. And I think that's when this whole trade and tariff issue yes. becomes real. And
4: I agree, Jeff. I think in in the last week to 10 days that we have seen a shift in the thinking of uh, rural uh, people, uh, particularly in our farm communities, they are beginning to understand uh, that uh, we're in a really tough place, uh, and particularly because of the, uh, the uh, situation with our, our ethanol industry. This is an industry that Iowa has very... Worked very, very hard to build. It is providing good jobs in rural communities and, and uh, additional dollars on a bushel of corn for farmers. Um, and it is je- in serious jeopardy right now with with the granting of uh, the waivers to uh, supposed uh, small refineries. Well, small refineries like mobile Exxon, uh, Shell, uh, others Chevron. Like Chevron. Uh, you know, it, it is uh, it is, as Jeff said, clearly a choice that the Trump administration and President Trump himself uh, has made to, to favor the oil industry over uh, over the Midwest farmers, um, and they know it. Uh, they are beginning to vocalize that, and I think there's going to be a very a big sea change in their thinking in the next election.
1: Well, one specific example is um, uh, the CEO of Marquis Energy in Wisconsin. Uh, just made a statement yesterday that said he's been a Republican his entire life, uh, but he's ready to vote for Joe Biden because he's so angry at Trump and the Trump administration for Mm -hmm. basically lying uh, about supporting ethanol. And um, he said that these waivers are an attack on the industry, and it's so upsetting to him for the first time in his life. He's willing to vote for a Democrat.
4: Yeah, this is really uh, uh, a month ago. This you would have not heard this. But this is really, as I said, an indication of of the, a change in in thinking in uh, rural Iowa, rural America, and uh, it's also uh, an opportunity uh, for Democrats for, for Democratic candidates. Um, to talk about these issues that are in front of us and to show that they can keep promises and that they, in fact, are uh, of the party that will support rural America.
3: Well, this has been very informational. If uh, listeners have more questions about focus on rural America, where can they go for more information?
1: Well, they can uh, go to our website, FocusOnRuralAmerica.com, or they can follow us on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at at FocusOnRural.
3: Awesome. Patty Judge and Jeff Link, thank you both so much for taking the time to fill us in on some of the issues that are impacting rural voters.
4: Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, boy.
2: Well, thanks to them for taking the time to fill us in on some of those issues that are facing rural America. And Madison, if listeners want to stay up to date with issues that are impacting rural America, they can do that, of course, here on the Ag News Daily podcast or on any of the other fantastic podcasts part of the Global Ag Network. Tell us, where can our listeners go to learn more about those podcasts?
0: Well, Mike, listeners can always find Ag News Daily at com slash agnewsdaily. And that will also take them to... Just our main website where they can kind of poke around and find different podcasts, articles, and videos.
2: Absolutely, and they can always interact with us on social media. They can find us at Ag News Daily at any of the places that uh, they'd like to go, namely Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And with that, Madison Honkamp, should we let the people go? Let's
0: let them go.